Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to you uh, that are here in the room. Welcome to those of you that are watching online today. And uh, as we jump in, let me just say to you, uh, on behalf of the White family and the Lee family, uh, and just, just from Corey and I, how much I appreciate the way that you've served their family, uh, their families this week. Uh, for those that have not heard the story, I think most of you have. We've, we've posted it's been everywhere else that I've seen, but uh, 25-year-old uh, mother and wife and uh, just a beautiful uh, young lady uh, passed away a week ago today. And uh, it's Pastor Aaron White, our family ministries pastor. It's his sister, uh, Richard and Pam, who are elders here. It's their daughter, and Jesse, and uh, his wife, William, Amelia, their mom, and uh, just such a tragic situation. Yesterday, the funeral was just a beautiful celebration of her life and really a reminder for all of us to live with great intention. And, uh, but I, I'm thankful for the way our church family has responded. You have, you've made meals, you've prayed, you've given money, diapers, uh, you've, we've watched children, uh, but whatever it is that you've done, or I, I just want to say thank you. You have responded in a great way. You're not the only ones to respond, obviously, but I am thankful for how you have responded. It's been, uh, it's been amazing to watch. Uh, and in the midst of all of those things over the last few days, we also completed our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so it, it just was a great three-week journey of watching God do some amazing things in our hearts and lives as we prayed and asked God to meet us here every single day. We gathered together 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. Monday through Friday and just had a great faithful steady group in the room and a number of people watching online every single day. We gathered on Saturday mornings from 8 to 9, including yesterday. And then we gathered on Wednesday nights for a similar uh, service and took communion. And so thank you for you, those of you that were able to participate in some form. And if you fasted, I hope the coffee tasted great this morning or the meals tasted awesome or YouTube's never looked better or whatever it is that you did. Uh, if you gave up social media, just stay off of it. Your life will be better because of it. Uh, just extend that fast. But, uh, and then one other thing that I just want to make you aware of and just kind of remind you of is next Sunday's a big day. It's our 10th anniversary celebration. We actually celebrated 10 years as a church back uh, just a few Saturdays ago on the 8th of this month. But... Uh, we're going to celebrate that next Sunday morning, 9.30 and 11. We'd love to have you to be here. Uh, we've got some special guests coming back that have been a part of this journey over the last 10 years. And just a really great day for us to look back a little bit and really to look ahead to what we believe that God has for us in the days ahead. So we want you to be here. It'll be a great day. We'll have a lot of fun things planned uh, as well. So we want you to be here for next Sunday. Today we are concluding our Miracles in the Making series. And you know, every now and then, you know, we've got a plan and, and, and we've got an idea of where we're headed and then we change that plan. We, we, as through prayer, we, we believe the Lord's leading us a different direction. And, and all week long, I've been praying about today and this weekend. And, and, uh, and I really do believe that the Lord led me to this passage of Scripture uh, for us today. This is a different uh, message than, than we originally were looking to do for this Sunday in this series. But I genuinely believe that it is, it is the right message for us as a church family for today. So if you got a Bible, I would love for you to go with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5 is, is there in the Gospels. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four, first four books of the New Testament, which are where most of the stories of Jesus and his ministry are contained in Scripture, uh, his life on the earth anyway. And so John chapter 5 is one of those amazing stories. There's several here. 
Uh, but we're going to read together the first few verses of John 5. If you don't have a Bible, uh, first of all, today we want to make it easy on you. We'll put those on the screen. Uh, but we also would encourage you to bring a Bible, bring an app, something that you can connect to the Scripture yourself so that you have the muscle memory throughout the week where it's not just on Sundays that you're engaging the Word of God. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have one that we will give you in the lobby. And there's no, no reason for you to be worried about asking for that. If you just walk up and say, hey, I need a Bible, we'll give you a Bible. But beyond that, we want you to bring the Bible with you in some form so that you can engage God's Word on Sunday and you know how to engage God's Word Monday through Saturday. But today we're going to look to John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. This is what it says. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, they lay on the porches. And one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Now, there's several things that I want us to see in this passage of Scripture. But one of the, the things that's important for us to understand is, is a, a little more understanding the context of, of where this is taking place. So if you, if you make your way into Jerusalem, uh, there are various gates around the city. And these would have been the places that people would have been able to enter and exit the city walls. And so the Sheep Gate was the place uh, near the tabernacle where they would bring the sheep in that were going to be sacrificed. So this wasn't just like where all the shepherds would come in and out of the city necessarily. This was the place uh, where the sheep would be brought in that were going to be used for sacrifice. And so the Sheep Gate was very near the tabernacle, and then you have this pool. Now, uh, just a few years ago, it's, it's about 100 years ago or so now in, in, this, in one regard, they discovered, the archaeologists that are doing a lot of work there, they discovered what they believed to be this pool of Bethesda. And what they thought it was at first was just a purification pool. It would have just been a place where people could kind of get a bath. They could cleanse their feet. They could, they could wash themselves before they got to the tabernacle. Or it would have been a place that they would gather together uh, to be able to cleanse themselves from a, a, long, a long travel. Or if they'd been outside the city before they engaged other people. But they didn't feel like it was necessarily the Pool of Bethesda because there's a very specific description here that this was covered with five, uh, five covered porches. So if you have to kind of imagine... Imagine a pool in your backyard or at your neighborhood uh, that there's five different ways that you could get into the pool and every one of those had like a roof over it. So like every one of the steps that led down into the pool had kind of an awning or something that would have covered that place, but it extended beyond just the pool, it kind of extended back. So there was a little bit of a, you know, an area that you could, you could rest in the shade, you could get down into the water or cleanse your feet or wash yourself and then get out of that and maybe sit there. Well, there was, uh, once they discovered, as they continued to do more archaeological work, they discovered that there was actually the shape of this pool allowed for there to be like these five coves right around the pool. And so they do believe, based on the description, and its nearness to the sheep gate that this was the pool of Bethesda. And so now they, they have some, an exact location, an exact place where they believe uh, this pool exists. And so you could go there and visit it today if you chose to do so. Well, here's what was happening at the pool of Bethesda. There was, there was some activity in the water 
And so this, in this translation, it says when the water bubbled. In other places, it says when the water began trembling. But the idea was what, what they believed was happening is that an angel had come by and was, was, doing the, was touching the water, stirring the water up. And the first one into the pool, when that took place, they began to be healed. So it says that there were a number of sick people who started to come and surround this pool. They would, they would lay under these porches. They would lay near the edge of the water. And so as soon as there was anybody that heard, hey, the water is trembling, the water is stirring, the water is bubbling, then they would rush to the water and jump in or, or, or put themselves down in into the water in some form, and if they did, they believed that they were getting healed. And so this gentleman that we have as kind of the main character beside Jesus in this story, the one that Jesus is engaging, he has, he has been sick for 38 years. We don't know exactly how long he's been sitting at this pool, but we do know that he's been sick for a long time, and he is laying near the pool, but he's not able to get to the water. He's laying on a sleeping mat. So imagine a sleeping bag or a yoga mat or something, whatever you want to put in your mind's eye. He's laying on that type of mat because he doesn't have the physical ability to get to the water. So he's just laying near it. He's just close enough that he has seen, witnessed, heard about other people getting their miracles, but him not getting his. And so that kind of sets the stage for what's happening here. And so Jesus comes up during one of these holy days. He comes up to this pool and he sees all of the various crowds of people that are near the waters. And he, he sees this man and recognizes he's been ill for a long time. And so he asks him this question in verse 6. He says, would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? That seems like a pretty straightforward question, doesn't it? I mean, this guy's been sick for 38 years. But I think, based on the response of this man, which we're going to get to in just a second, I think he actually embodies a lot of what we see other people in our lives. I don't want to indict you, so I won't point fingers at you. Let's just act like it's all of our friends. That we get comfortable in our discomfort. We become more and more comfortable kind of sitting in our suffering because it becomes a part of our story. Like, think about the various stories that you tell other people in your life. How many of them are connected to like a long-term narrative? It's like, well, you know, when I was growing up, like my family, you know, they got divorced. Everybody in my family gets divorced. As if there's no choice in the matter. It's like, well, all, all the men in my family are alcoholics. It's like, well, this is just our lot in life. It's like, well, I, you know, I, 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 I didn't have the opportunity to go to school, go to college. I mean, I just... Like we start to tell narratives about our life and when we do, it becomes a little bit like a crutch that, that every story we tell has to be built upon all of the various things that we've suffered and endured for so long. And maybe it's not been 38 years, but for some of us, maybe it's been even longer than that. And that narrative is not just a story of what happened back there. It becomes the story by which we tell how we're living right now. So a few weeks ago, I'll tell, I'll tell you a quick story. So a few weeks ago, our son Tucker, Tucker is 12. Uh, he's awesome. He, he's a people person. He's never met a stranger. I mean, he's friends with just about everybody, even people he doesn't know, which has been dangerous throughout his life. We've had to say, hey, you can't just go to somebody's house and hang out and go in. Like, I'll tell you, this is not even part of the message. This is just Tucker, okay? So one day we were at lacrosse practice for Branson, and we're missing Tucker. We're just, you know, where's Tucker? And so we, we, we go looking for Tucker. And Tucker's over at one of the other fields where there's a soccer game going on. 
And so it's like, oh, okay, well, he's just watching soccer. He's never really been into soccer, but he's watching soccer. And so we go over, and Tucker is with one of the teams on the sideline getting team snack. And we're like, Tucker, what are you doing? He was like, well, I mean, they, they were giving out snack. And I was like, but you're not on the team. He was like, they didn't ask me that. You know, he just, Tucker just, he just finds a way just to hang out. A few weeks ago at school, Tucker was in, in gym. Uh, he was in PE and, and he was playing basketball and he came down on the side of his foot and he hurt it. So the school calls, they said, hey, can, you need to come get Tucker. It, it really does seem like it's, it's hurt pretty bad. And so you probably need to take him to the doctor. So we took him to the doctor and, and the urgent care there. And, and they said, yeah, we, we think it's broken. We think his foot's broken. Uh, if it's not, like, it's, it's right on the line. Like, we can't really tell from the x-ray, but we do believe that it's broken. So they gave him some crutches. They said, hey, we want you to go see uh, another doctor that's going to specialize in that for, for pediatrics. And so you'll go see him on, like, Monday or Tuesday, I think it was. But he's got he's to use these crutches, keep his weight off his foot. So Tucker comes walking into an event we had at the church that night on crutches. And everybody, hey, man, so sorry you got hurt. What happened? You okay? You know, and so it started to feel a little better over the next few days. But Tucker was determined to take those crutches to school. Because I don't know if you know this. Like, as an adult, maybe it's not this way. Maybe if you walked into work tomorrow on crutches, like, nobody would pay you any attention. But in the seventh grade, crutches are a big deal. I mean, if you walk in with crutches, I, I think, I imagine, remembering all the way back to when life was in black and white, I remember in seventh grade that all the girls would kind of pay attention to you to figure out, like, what, why are you, you okay, Tucker? You all right? You know? So I'm assuming things are still like that. So Tucker was determined we're going to take the crutches to school. Even after we went to the, uh, the orthopedic doctor and he was like, you know what, I, I think it's not broken. There's just a strain there and he needs to be careful. And he was like, but I still get to take my crutches to school, right? Because he wanted to make sure that other people knew he had gotten hurt. So that's seventh grade philosophy. But how many of us at 25, 35, 45, 55, 65, 75 years old, how many of us still want other people to see our crutches? Like we still want them to ask us the question, oh, what happened to you? Oh, why are you hurt? Are you okay? I'm so sorry you had to endure that. And listen, I'm not talking about genuine compassion. If you are hurting, I pray that people flock to you. But how many of us continue to use crutches that we don't actually need? How many of us continue to prop up our story with details that are based on things that happened so long ago because we don't actually want to be free? Because if we become free from those things, if we become whole and well from those things, then we don't have the crutches of those stories anymore to blame the circumstances of our lives. It's a funny story in seventh grade, but how many of us can't really even imagine our life without our limp? We can't imagine our life without a drink in the hand. We can't imagine our life with all of the various other substances that we use to mask all of the other things that we don't want to deal with. Jesus asked this man, he says, do you want to get well? If Jesus asked you that today, how would you respond? Do you want to get well? This is not just like, hey, if I did the miraculous, no, no, no. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to stop living the way that you've been living? Do you want to lose the victim mentality in your life? 
There's a story of a little boy who went to the circus with his parents, and he watched all of the various animals and the clowns and all the stuff, and he saw the elephants. The elephants were his favorite part of the circus, and these humongous animals that did amazing tricks and stood up on their hind legs, and they responded to command, and they, they took a volleyball and did something on the front of their trunk, and I mean, it was just amazing. And so after the circus, they were able to kind of go backstage and see all the animals in their kind of cages and natural environments back there where they were being kept. But he saw that the elephants weren't playing games anymore. These big humongous elements were just standing over on the side and they had a chain around their foot and it was tied to a little tiny stake in the ground. And so he asked his parents who, who asked the, the circus master, they said, hey, why, is the, why are the elephants just standing here? He said, oh, well, they're, you know, if, they, if we let them loose, they would just wreak havoc. So, well, but they're stronger than the stake. Like, why are they just standing there? So, well, that, they've been trained. Well, what do you mean they've been trained? And many of you may have heard some variation of this story. When, when elephants are babies and they're very, very small, they're tied to, to tree trunks that are bigger and stronger than they are at that point in their life. And they, they buck at it. They try to get away from it. They try to pull that tree trunk out of the ground, but they're not able to do that. And as they get a little bit older, what they're being tied to becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. But they've already been trained and conditioned in their mind that whatever they are held to is stronger than they are. And they eventually stop trying to get free. There are some of us that are living tied to things that are not stronger than we are. And they're definitely not stronger than the power of God available to each one of us. And yet we continue to allow ourselves to be tied to those things that should not have control over our life. Do you want to be well? It seems like a pretty straightforward question, doesn't it? But notice the response from the man. He said, I can't, for no one is here to put me in the pool. I can't. Now, I want you to notice something. That's not actually an answer to the question that he was asked. The question was, do you want to be well? Like the only responses that are appropriate are yes, no, or I don't know. Like those would be the only possible answers to that question. Now, if Jesus asked him a different question, if he said like, why aren't you well yet? If he said, why doesn't anyone help you? Well, I can't. I don't have the ability. I can't get to the waters. Nothing that I do works in my life. But Jesus didn't ask him that. He said, do you want to be well? And he says, I can't. How many of us are saying I can't in response to a question that that doesn't even answer? How many of us should be saying I will, I can, God definitely can, but we've refined ourselves or confined ourselves, I guess. We've kind of allowed ourselves to shrink back and to play the victim and to determine and decide, hey, I can't get better. I've tried. I tried a few steps to get free. I, I prayed a few prayers. I, I cried all over the carpet in a previous church service before, and nothing changed in my life. I can't do it when that's not actually the reality for us. The second half of what he responded here is he says, I can't, for I have no one. I don't have anybody to help me. What a sad indictment of this man's life. What a sad circumstance he finds himself. Not necessarily that he's sick or disabled, or doesn't have the ability to help himself, but that he has no one else to help him. Because there are other gospel accounts, other stories of miracles that we've talked about in the last few weeks, in the 21 days, where even though one of the individuals may not have been able to seek their own healing, they had a group of friends that carried them to Jesus. 
They had a group of people that encouraged them to go and seek more of the power of God for their life. But this man says, I don't have anybody else to help me. I'm all on my own. And let me just say to you, you heard it just a minute ago. This is why we believe in community. It's why we believe in groups. I referenced the, the, the whites and the leaves just a little while ago. And I said this yesterday, I believe at the funeral. But the idea, I, Richard said a couple of different times throughout the week, he said, we're broken hearted. He said, we, we're, our, our, we can't even imagine this feeling and how long this is going to last. But he said, I cannot imagine walking this road by ourselves. And I know that there are some of you, maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel just like this guy. We believe in the power of community. We want you to get that card, that G Groups card. We don't want you just to kind of stick it in your Bible or stick it in your purse. We want you to walk out in the lobby and talk to some folks. We want you to flip it over and go to that website or click on that QR code. And we want you to actually go, like, join a group. Like, take that step. Do you want to have relationships? Do you want to get well? Do you want to have people walking through life with you? Well, I can't. I don't have anybody. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to stay that way in our lives. I got nobody else. You got to find someone that will help you get to the pool. You've got to find someone who will help you move. You got to find someone who will pray with you. You don't have to live your life by yourself. And then the last thing that I see that this man responded, he said, there's always someone who gets there ahead of me. The idea was that the first one in the water got healed, but if I'm not the first... I might as well be last. I'm not even going to try to get there second. There's always someone who gets there ahead of me. There is a common temptation in spiritual things and prayers prayed and the miraculous to compare our needs with other people's. To compare other people's answered prayers to our unanswered prayers. To compare our situation to their situation. But can I say to you that we are a part of a corporate experience this morning? We are a part of a community of faith as a part of this church. We are a part of, of relationships. But your relationship with God is a personal thing. God interacts with you individually. God responds to you personally. You pray and ask God to meet you at your place of need. And you don't have to do it by yourself. But God is talking to you, responding to you. Don't try to compare your miracle to someone else's. Don't try to compare your prayers to someone else's. It's not important what other people are getting from God. It is important what you are getting from God. And the way that God answers your prayers is probably going to be different than the way he answers their prayers. Your needs are different. Your context of life is different. So don't get discouraged when you see someone else getting a blessing. Celebrate them the way you want somebody to celebrate your blessing. I know sometimes it can, it can create bitterness in us. And I don't, I don't want to read too much into the text, but for a guy that's been sick for 38 years, for a guy that's been sitting beside the pool and other people seem to get healed and he's not getting healed, you know because he's human and some of us have experienced this at different stages in our life, you know that guy's got to sit there going, man, why can't I get better? Why don't I have anybody to help me? Why are they getting healed? Why, didn't, why couldn't I have a condition that allowed me to get to the waters, but I'm stuck here on this mat? And so what I would say to you is quit looking at other people and continue just looking straight to God and seeking him. Jesus says to him, he says, pick up your mat and walk. That's all it takes. One moment with God. One prayer prayed. We've said that a couple of times throughout the series. One, one moment with the Almighty is all it takes to change 38 years of suffering, 38 years of isolation, all the bitterness that could grow in your heart. It just takes one moment with him. 
He was sitting on that mat for who knows how long. So as I read this story, here's a thought that was confronting me in my heart. What's been propping me up that I need to pick up and walk away with? Like, what have I just been wallowing in, laying in, sitting in, my sadness and my, my emotions and my disappointment with God and the church? And Like, what do I just need to pick up and move on? Not just sit there. You say, I can't. I have no excuses. Can I just lovingly say to you, all of those are excuses. Every single one of them. You're going to be mad at me. I know you are. Every single, I can't. Why not? Even if you can't, God can. I don't have anybody. Why not? Go seek some people out. Be the kind of friend you're seeking from others. Just just love people and watch if you don't start to get love in return. I'm not saying everybody's going to love you back well. Some people are going to hurt you. But you just keep leaning towards people, pressing towards people. Other people are getting their miracle. Who cares? Celebrate it. Honor it. And know that if God will do it for them, God can do it for you. Every single one of those things is an excuse. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We've got to have a sense of urgency. We've got to stop sitting around and just being comfortable watching other people get from God what it is that they're seeking from God. We've got to have a sense of urgency and a trust in a God who we know can to believe for the impossible. It's time to get moving. And it lasts longer, it's been going on longer than March 2020 and COVID and all of that stuff. It's been going on since before elections and all of the various racial tensions that are taking place in our world and have over the last 12 months, 18 months. Listen, it's been going on a lot longer than that. But can I just say to you, for some of us, we got to get up and get moving again. It's time. What are we waiting on? Stop sitting on the sidelines watching other people experience the fullness of God and wallowing in our own self-pity to say, well, I don't have anybody to help me and I don't think this can happen and I've prayed before and it's not taking place. It is time to get up and go. And so here's a, here's a phrase we use on a pretty regular basis around here. My son, my son made fun of me a little while ago. He said, you've said that before. I was like, I've only got about 11 things I've ever said. So this may sound repetitive to you. But write it down somewhere. This is what we believe. We work like it depends on us. And we pray knowing it depends on God. We're not just going to sit around and wait on God to do something. We're going to move. We're going to take action. We work like it depends on us. But we pray and believe knowing that it is entirely dependent on the power of God to accomplish it in our lives. Let me give you a great example before we pray and close. This piece of paper was taped to the front door of our church this morning. Some of you may be familiar with it because this is not the first one that's ever been taped there. Every few weeks, we get this piece of paper taped on the glass door right there in front of the lobby. And can I tell you something? We're not the only church in this community that gets this piece of paper taped. I actually watched it happen this morning. I've seen it a couple of other times, but I watched it happen this morning. There was a truck that pulled into the parking lot. They didn't even really get all the way into the parking lot because they were in a hurry. They kind of pulled in and parked the way some of us park when we, we've got a takeout order, you know. It's like, well, I'm not staying here long. Pulled up, jumped out, tape already pre-applied. Walked up to the door, stuck it to the door, got in the truck, left, because they were in a hurry. They had to get to another church to tape another one of these on their doors, to get to another church to tape another one of these on their doors. And this is what it says. 
Please continue to pray for Misty Payne Blair. She's 31. She was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer June 7, 2021, and the cancer was also in her lungs. Her third CT scan since beginning chemotherapy was Monday, December 28th. The scan showed more tumor shrinkage. Her colon tumor cannot be seen on the scan now. That is fantastic news and very promising. She just completed her 12th treatment. She will be off chemo for the month of January and will have her surgery to reverse the colostomy on January 27th. That is highlighted in blue just so we can remember to pray on the 27th coming up. God is so good and we are so thankful for all of your prayers. We're giving him all the praise and glory. She will have maintenance chemo for several months to come. Thank you again for your love and support. If you would like to send Misty a card of encouragement, please see her address below. Thanks so much. Misty didn't tape this to our door. You know who did? Misty's mom. For the last several months, Misty's mom is taping updates and requesting prayer from every faith community she can find in this area. She's not just going to sit on the sidelines and wait on her daughter to get worse or to get better. She's going to do something as if it depends on her. I had a different closing story, but when I saw this on the door and they handed it to me, I said, hey, this is it. This is a sense of urgency. This mom has decided that she's going to work as if it depends on her, but she's completely trusting that it depends on God. What are we doing while we wait for our miracle? What are we doing while we wait for God to do something in our lives? What are we doing while we wait for the miraculous to happen in the circumstances of our lives and those we love? It's not enough just to sit on our mat and wait on God to do something and to say, well, I can't get there and I don't have anyone to help me and other people are getting healed and other people are getting blessed. Pick up your mat and let's go. Let's move. It's time. It's time. I don't know what you need from God. I don't know what you're asking him for. I don't know what you've prayed a thousand other times before now. But I believe today could be your day. And if not today, it could be tomorrow. And if not tomorrow, it could be Tuesday. Because I've got a faith in a God who can heal. And he can deliver you. And he can give freedom. And he can be your provider. Let's stop waiting. Let's stop making excuses. Let's create a sense of urgency and work as if it depends on us, praying and believing, knowing that it depends on him. Today, we're going to close our service with some baptisms. We already have some folks registered and scheduled to be baptized at 11. We don't have anybody scheduled to be baptized at 930. And if we don't have anybody to be baptized, that's fine. But every time we offer baptism, we want to give you a chance. Maybe you came today and you were not prepared to be baptized, but you know today's your day. As we were worshiping, as we were singing, you walked in, you saw that baptismal pool, and you were like, man, I've been putting it off for too long. I was just waiting. I was waiting for the right time, for the right day. I was waiting to wear a different outfit. Today's your day, and you know it. And so we're going to give you that opportunity. In just a second, when I pray, all you have to do is stand up and walk out that door. There'll be a group of people that'll meet you there. They'll give you some instructions, and I'll baptize you. If not, we're going to sing, worship, be dismissed, and then some other folks are going to be baptized during our 11 o'clock service, and that's okay. But whether it's about baptism, salvation, healing, provision, reconciliation, or something else altogether, I believe that God is enough for you. And while this is the end of this miracle series, it is not the end of us praying for the miraculous. 
we believe that God can do it. I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody looking around, just a moment between you and the Lord. Something you've experienced today, something you've heard today. If you say, hey, today's my day. I need to be saved. I need to ask him to be the Lord and Savior of my life, to forgive my sins, and to lead and guide me from this point forward. If that's you, we want to give you a chance to respond. All I'm going to ask you to do right now is to lift your hand. We're going to pray for you in just a second. But if that's you, lift your hand right where you're at. I want to pray for you. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Anybody else? And now if you would say, Jeremy, I, I need a miracle. I need God to intervene. I need God to show up. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I need him to show up. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? We want to pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now in just a second, everybody look at me. In just a second, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for the hands that were lifted in both of those requests. But as I'm praying, if you know today is your day to be baptized, just stand up while we're praying and walk out that door. You don't have to wait on anybody else or any other instructions. You just get up and walk. All right? Let's bow our heads. God, we love you. I thank you for every person that's responded to you now. We thank you for every person that lifted their hand. They want to be saved. They want you to forgive their sins and be the Lord of their life. And so, God, I ask you to accomplish that in them today. God, I thank you that you're a God who saves. I thank you that while I can't do it, you can. And eternity can be changed forever. And so, God, we celebrate now with heaven for those that have made that decision today. And, God, I pray for every person who needs a miracle. Whatever it is that they're seeking from you, God, we believe that you can do it. And so I'm asking you now to respond to them. They've lifted their hands. They've acknowledged their need. They know that they're at the end of their own ability, the end of themselves. So God, I pray right now that if they need financial provision, they need a miracle, God, that you would show up in ways that would blow their mind. God, if they need reconciliation of relationship, there's brokenness there, God, that you would heal it, restore it, bring forgiveness there. God, if there's a physical healing that they're seeking for themselves or someone that they know, God, we pray right now for that healing. God, we thank you for the miracle that you're doing in Misty's body. And we thank you for the urgency and the passion of her mom to seek other people to be praying for her daughter on her behalf. And so, God, we thank you for what's taking place there. We ask you for a complete healing. God, I pray for those that are seeking a companion. They're single. It may take a miracle, God, but we pray it right now. God, open the right doors, connect them to the right people. I pray for people that are trying to get pregnant right now. God, it, it, it doesn't seem possible. And in the natural, it may not be, but God, we believe in a supernatural God. God, would you do a miracle right now? We believe you can. So God, right now, I pray for whatever they're seeking, that God, you would meet that need. We thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's worship together. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day and God bless.